That's my favorite thing. This is the Nash, the Nash Dance Podcast. Welcome to Nash DevCast, a podcast about software development and the Nashville developer community. I'm Corey Elliott, and today's episode is a live recording from Bar Camp Nashville. Lisa French and I interviewed Alonka Dunnan, who specializes in cryptography and game development. When you agreed to do this, I w- we were both fangirling a bit um, <laughs> because totally like, you're kind of a big deal. No, I'm um, not. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was like just recently you were on NPR yeah. and it's just such a cool thing that you're here. I'm, I'm happy that you asked me. I was very honored that you asked me. I'm a big fan of the whole Nash Dev thing. So yeah, oh. it's cool. Dang, Alonka's yeah. a fan of ours. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's great. I love these communities that are forming. You get the developers together and they can share information and, and that's the way it's supposed to be. So you're not you know, beating your head on, on your keyboard and you go over to Stack Overflow and then the problem isn't there either. And, <laughs> and you, you'd say, can someone just please sit with me you know, for a minute and go through this? And, and then you can go through, or you can just go through and kind of do sc- scroll back and see if anybody else has been dealing with the issue too. Right. So how did you get into the software or yeah. into tech in general? Oh, it, it, was, it was just in my DNA. Uh, <laughs> my dad was involved with computers back when they were the big, uh, you know, room-sized computers, and, and he would take me to work with him back in the 1960s, <laughs> and I would play with the key punch machines because they were, you know, they had all this cool confetti, the chat that came out <laughs> of them, <laughs> and so I'd be playing with that. And um, he, uh, he would program these big computers to play little number games with me. So I'd be sitting there at the teletype, tapping on it. And then he brought in some books on Fortran. So I got to do some self-learning on Fortran. And then in junior high school, uh, I was involved with some really early computer stuff. Now, we didn't actually have computers in the school. What we had was uh, key punch cards, but we didn't have a key punch machine. We had these uh, cards where we would have to use a number two pencil and we had to fill in on the card where the holes were supposed to be and then they'd wrap up these cards in a rubber band and then send them all downtown where they would run through a system, punch the holes in the key punch cards, then run the program and then it would come out on these big wide green and white sheets of paper and then they would send that back to the school. So if we had a bug, okay, now we needed to fill in the card, the number two pencil and send it down. So talk about <laughs> lag and compiling. Uh, so you guys don't know how good you have it. Uh, <laughs> you, you've had just a lot of different life experiences. Like, in a way, you're kind of like a Forrest Gump or something. Like, any big <laughs> thing that has happened. It's like a box of chocolates. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, it feels like you have been in everything and, like, had all of these just amazing uh-huh. experiences. So, um, we wanted to talk about also cryptos oh and yeah. cryptography. That's what, that's oh, super yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, I think, maybe what you're most known for and... Yeah. How do you get into cryptography? Um, well, as a kid, I was just kind of interested in codes. Like there'd be these um, magazines with crossword puzzles in them, and every so often they would have little other puzzles, little logic puzzles and little code puzzles. And so every month I'd like go down to the store and I'd get the, the crossword puzzle book, and I didn't do any of the crossword puzzles. <laughs> All I wanted to do was the code stuff. And you know, sometimes there'd be a magazine that was just code stuff like pencil puzzles and word games and I love those um, and but it was all just kind of fun and uh, where it really kind of turned into a public thing was I 
so I'd been making games, computer games for a while at some Utronics. And then I was at a big convention in Atlanta called Dragon Con. <gasps> That's my favorite thing. <laughs> you were just there. We talked I about was. that. Yeah, Dragon Con. They, this year they had 77,000 yeah. people on this amazing convention. And they replaced the carpet with horrible, horrible carpet. <laughs> Which means some of the people have to change their costumes. One of my favorite costumes there the camel was that. Yeah, yeah. They came in and, they, and, and all their uniforms were designed to match the hotel carpet. It was, oh, it, no. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was hotel carpet camo. It well, was they amazing. Actually, so the carpet is a big enough deal that when they ripped the carpet up, the hotel gave it to people to auction off Wow! in squares. And so there are people that own squares of the carpet that came from the hotel. Wow. The That's how important oh the carpet like is. Like frame it and hang it on the wall. They like do. Those, they like do. those people that get like the basketball court in Indiana where they get a little piece of wood from the old basketball <laughs> That's court. That's exactly and what it frame was. it and put it on. Yep. Yep. So Dragon Con, big deal. Um, and I had been invited to, uh, to speak there way back in the 1990s. Uh, and, and they have, Dragon Con has different tracks. So there's like a Star Trek track and a Star Wars track, comic books track, British sci-fi track, all these things. And one of the tracks was EFF, Electronic Frontiers Forum. And I was speaking there about games, the computer games that I was involved with. And while I was there, because I was a speaker, I got to hang out with the other speakers in the track. You know, you get together at the end of the day, you have a beer. And I heard about, through them, I heard about this code that had been released um, actually here in Nashville. So it was the Freaknik code, P-H-R-E-A-K-N-I-C, Freaknik code. This was the Freaknik 3 code. And it had been released as a challenge to the attendees at the conference, but no one had cracked it. So now the, the hackers were at Dragon Con with the code handing it around saying, hey, you know, anyone who wants, there's a prize for cracking this code. And so I picked up the flyer along with all the other flyers that you can get at these kind of conventions. And I took it home and then I don't know, I was, I was sick with the flu one weekend and I couldn't go out and I was just bored. So I decided to take a look at it and um, I got obsessed. And <laughs> with all my code experience and computer experience and everything, I, I, I cracked it. It took me a week and a half, but I solved it. I was, I was completely antisocial <laughs> while I was working on it. Like any of my friends who kind of hit, you know, hey, Ilanka, do you want, I said, don't talk to me unless you want to talk about the code. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was completely in the zone and, and I cracked it and I won a free trip to a hacker con, free drinks and t-shirts. Um, and then I went around cracking a bunch of other codes in the hacker scene. I've actually been banned from competition. I read from, that. from cracking the code. So that, like at the Atlanticon convention, when they released their code, it was like on a sheet of paper, and at the bottom of the paper it said, note, past puzzle solvers are ineligible for, uh, for solving the Atlantic for prizes for solving the Atlanticon code. Give someone else a chance, Ilanka. <laughs> <laughs> and so I cracked that one too. And, and, and as an interesting twist, this was all when I was living in St. Louis, and a couple of years ago I moved here to Nashville, and, and the hacker said, oh my God, Ilanka, you know, you have to get involved with running the convention now. And, and Freaknik had been, uh, in 2004, the group that ran it had become an official Tennessee nonprofit running Freaknik as a, as a technology education convention. And so I, I got involved and then I got elected to the board of this nonprofit. Now I'm chairperson of the nonprofit that runs Freaknik. So, um, and the next convention, Freaknik 20, is coming up just in a couple weeks, uh, November oh, wow. 4th through 6th in, in Murfreesboro. And so I'll be there speaking on different stuff. So it, it's just kind of an interesting twist from Freaknik 3 to now to Freaknik 20. My life, another chocolate. 
<laughs> nice tie-in. <laughs> um, the um, the code in DC, um, Cryptos. Cryptos. I wanted to talk about that, sure. too. And also um, the, um, oh, it's escaping me. The, the movie consulting that you've done and yep. book consulting. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Oh, um, okay. Start wherever you Let me like. see. Where should I start? Cryptos. So as <laughs> as I was, so it ties in back to the Freaknik three codes. So while I was working on that, uh, there were it, it was really kind of done like an onion, not chocolates, but but like a big <laughs> onion with different layers, and some of those layers were dead ends. They were red herrings. Say go go solve this, and you know, we didn't have to solve that, and then you had to go solve this. And, and one of the uh, dead ends was go solve this, and it was a link to the CIA website, cia.gov, where there was a picture of the sculpture Kryptos. And that was when I first heard about Kryptos, and, uh, and then I did some research on it, and I found out, okay, Kryptos, it's a sculpture at the CIA, it has four codes carved into it, three of the four have been solved, the fourth has not been solved yet, it's considered to be one of the most famous unsolved codes in the world. And I was like, oh, ha, ha, I got to go solve this for, for no, <laughs> no, okay, and then I went back to, to solving the Freaknik 3 code. Um, but then, uh, how long a story do you, do you want me to tell here? Because I can't. <laughs> uh, I'm so bad with time. Okay. We just keep going. Okay. And all right. Just stop. Yeah. So, so I'm cracking all these codes in the hacker scene, and and then uh, bad stuff happens. September 11th happened. Horrible, horrible day, and I actually have a cousin who was working in Washington D.C. at the time and had a really close call at the Pentagon. Uh, he was actually on his way to the Pentagon to give a talk, but his printer was giving him problems. So he had to, he was delayed to get the printer working, and then he's on his way to the Pentagon, and he was checking his cell phone for messages, and his cell phone actually crashed from all the messages he was getting from people that said, a plane just hit the Pentagon, don't go. So um, the plane actually hit right where he was supposed to be. So some of the people he was supposed to brief were killed. And so the, the, and the way this ties into my crypto journey is that shortly after that, I went to DC to hug my cousin. And we went to the Pentagon and we placed a little American flag there. And then we were driving around DC and this is my first time in DC. And my cousin said, well, now that you're here, is there anything else you'd like to see? And I said, no, really, you. Uh, I'm just, you know, just here to see you. And he says, well, that's nice. I, I like seeing you too. But Washington, D.C. kind of has a bunch of you know, tourist attractions. <laughs> and I thought, hey, you know, what about that sculpture, Cryptos? And, and so we, um, you know, he, he asked me, he said, okay, Cryptos, that's, where is it? I said, the center of CIA headquarters. And he said, okay, that's in Langley, Virginia. And so we kind of, you know, we ran into a problem there. There's, there's no street address for, for CIA. You can't just drive up. But <laughs> I, I, I sort of knew where, I sort of knew what the building looked like because you see these Tom Clancy movies where they do like the overhead view saying da 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 CIA headquarters. <laughs> and um, so what I did, and this was before Google Earth, but I did get some satellite reconnaissance pictures of the Langley, Virginia area, and then with nice. the outline of the building, <laughs> I, I kind of looked around until I found it. And, and then my cousin and I drove up, and, and we figured that we just kind of like drive around the service road, the outside of CIA, and kind of peek over the wall and see if we could see cryptos that way. But it, it, it didn't work that way, because when we drove up, there's no service road. There's just a big gate with, with barbed wire and... <laughs> guard shack and a bunch of guys with guns that come pouring out of the guard shack uh, asking very reasonable <laughs> questions right after September 11th. Who are you and, and why are you here? And so 
we said, oh, we're just here to see cryptos. And they kind of relaxed a little bit. And they said, sorry, you can only get in with official business only. And, and then my cousin and I are like, OK, can we talk our way into CIA? So, so we tried <laughs> all these different things, like is there a public tour day? Or can we get like our, our Congress critter to, to get us an invite? And the guards kept saying, very firmly, sorry, official business only. And they were big guys with guns. And, and so eventually we drove away. But I was like, hmm. Okay, this was now a quest for me. This was this was now a, a waypoint, like an achievement <laughs> that I had to do. A puzzle so, in a puzzle. Yeah, I had to unlock this achievement. So I um so now we, we switch over to another part of my life, which which all the cryptography, and I was wondering if I could help with the war on terrorism, sort of like um, citizens helped at Bletchley Park uh, with the Enigma cracking, and so I called up my local FBI in St. Louis, and I said, "Hey." Can I help? And they said no. So, <laughs> so I, I, you know, kept calling them up. And again, I'm taking a long story and making it much shorter. But I finally got an agent who said, "Well, what is it you know about?" And I said, "Well, I've cracked all these codes in the hacker scene, and I've done this stuff with PGP and UU encoding and ROT13 and binary and blah blah blah, steganography and blah blah blah." And he said, "Wait, steganography? Ste we've been hearing rumors that Al Qaeda might have been using steganography as a way of planning the September 11th attacks." And, and so uh, he asked me if I could like put together a little talk about steganography because he said, you know, there may be big brains in Washington DC that know about this stuff, but we're here in St. Louis. Cryptography isn't our mission. By the way, steganography is a way of hiding messages inside of pictures. So um, I put together this big 70 slide PowerPoint presentation uh, and about steganography and what it was and how I don't think that Al Qaeda was using it. And in that presentation, I put some pictures of cryptos and said, boy, I'd love to give this talk at CIA someday. And, as I, and I gave this talk at various universities and I gave it at a hacker convention in Las Vegas. And at that hacker convention, when I gave the talk and I showed the slide and I said, boy, I'd love to give my talk at CIA someday to get in to see cryptos. And at the end of my talk, when people come up and they give you business cards and stuff, one person came up to the podium and they leaned across the podium and they looked me in the eye and they said, I work at Langley. I think I can get you in. <laughs> and so it was a CIA agent at, uh, who was undercover at DEF CON. And, and through them, I got an invitation. So I got in to see Cryptos. And I got to see some rubbings of the sculpture. Or I got, I got to make some rubbings of the sculpture. And, and then I, I, again, I'm taking a long story, making a lot shorter. I took those rubbings home. And then I did like a little web page, a little blog uh, about um, my journey to see Cryptos. And I posted the rubbings. And then all of a sudden, People are writing to me from all over the world uh, about cryptos, and like they'd they'd write to me and they'd say, "Hey, I've solved part four. and I'd say, "What is great? What does it say?" And they say, "Well, if you take this letter and this letter and that letter, it's my home address. It proves that the government is watching me." And <laughs> And, and I'd say thank you. I, I tried to be very gentle with, with these people. Um, and, and, but people were writing to me and calling me and asking me all these questions about crypto. So one of the people that wrote to me was an author um, named Dan Brown. And, and he said, hey, I'm going to have, a, a, maybe cryptos is going to feature into my next book. Can you answer some questions about it? And I said, sure. And, and so he'd call me, and he'd ask me this and that. And sometimes, and he, was, he became a pretty famous author. He wrote a book called The Da Vinci Code. Um, and, and so he would like call <laughs> me up and say, I'm going to be on Good Morning America tomorrow morning. Can you, you know, tell me what the 
kinds of questions they might ask me, I just want to make sure I'd get all my facts correct. So I'd be like quizzing him on things that Good Morning <laughs> oh America gosh. might ask him. And I got a whole other story there about something that he, that he got wrong. But, but anyway, because <laughs> um, I'm like a teacher in the morning. I'm watching like, get it right, get it right, get it right. Um, so, Remember your training. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then he did eventually write another book that was the sequel to Da Vinci Code. And I was really honored that there was a character in there which was named after me. He, he had one of the characters named Nola Kay, which is a, a scrambled version of Ilanka. So long story, but that's super that's awesome. Where it goes. <laughs> right? Like, gosh. <laughs> I can't even. And this is why Alonka is a big deal. <laughs> See, I don't think that because it's not like I set my sights on, okay, I'm gonna be famous or something. I just like I would just follow follow my quest. And if someone said no to me, I'd be like, okay. I'm going to keep doing it anyway, and <laughs> which, is, which is a lesson that I hope everyone can take away from this, that if someone says no, it doesn't mean that you have to accept that. Keep go, if you're passionate about it, keep going at it, and maybe you'll get to, get to that goal, or maybe you'll find something else interesting along the way, but don't let a no stop you. That sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so do you feel like your, um, your fame in the world of cryptography uh, has been something that has, uh, I don't know, given you more of a sense of community? Or is it more in the game development world? Or like, where do you find your home community? Ooh, uh, that's an interesting question. Uh, definitely when I go to DragonCon, there's a sense of, this is my tribe. That's my tribe, too. <laughs> they, 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 these are my peeps. And, and I get that sense here, too, at, at the bar camp. Like, these are the people that I can see myself hanging out with. If I were, like, in, in an airport waiting room and there was, like, 100 people and we were going to be there for a couple hours, these are the kind of people here <laughs> that I would kind of nudge towards and start talking to because they're the most likely to, have, to watch the same TV shows that I watch. You know, start like I just finished rewatching Deep Space Nine from the beginning, all seven seasons, um, and now I'm on to Voyager, and then I'll go on to Enterprise. Um, Which and, one's and your favorite of all the of all, of all the, the Star Treks? Treks. Uh, Deep Space Nine, e easily. And um, <laughs> but but I have to say, if I Audience if I were class. on a starship that were in combat, I would want Picard as the captain. I agree. <laughs> or Janeway. Janeway and Picard are like my yeah. two. Yeah, so um, you see, so th this is it. We, we have this knowledge where if I were to talk to someone, one of my mom's associates, she'd be going, Star Trek? What, what's that? <laughs> Star, I've, I've heard Star Wars. Are they the same thing? <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, so definitely just uh, everyone here that's into tech and sci-fi, that's my tribe. Awesome. So since we are live, uh, we wanted to... Um, take some time to do audience questions. It's our first interactive podcast. Normally they close us off in a room and we, we see what we come away with. <laughs> Before moving on to life questions, let's take a minute to give a shout out to our sponsor, Strongloop. Strongloop is now IBM API Connect. IBM API Connect is a complete solution that addresses all aspects of the API lifecycle for both on-premises and cloud environments. It offers comprehensive capabilities to create, run, manage, secure, and monetize APIs and microservices. Delivering an unparalleled integrated user experience, it enables rapid deployment and simplified administration of APIs. And now for our live question and answer session with the audience. So any question, Alonka has given a free reign of questions. <laughs> Ask me anything. Uh, I'm Nick. 
Hi. And I have a lot of close friends, but they're not quite in the tech. And I'm really trying to encourage a lot of them to come into it because I think they have a good mind for it. And like they have children and their nieces and stuff and they're young. And I'm like, I just want to get them excited and get them into it. Kind of like I want to make better friends out of them, mm -hmm. sort of. But like, do you do that too? Do you try to like enlist people that are similar and say, hey, you know, if you just start thinking like this a little bit, you would find this whole new like programming science like way up your alley. Mm -hmm. you, Come you, towards the light. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, you join us and stuff. I mean, with kids, definitely. There, there's a lot. Ki kids can be into so many different kinds of topics. And uh, at Freaknik coming up, we actually have a, a kids track there. So I would encourage families to bring their kids there because we're going to teach them about computers and about information security. We're also going to have a big room full of Legos. I mean, who doesn't like Oh, my gosh. Can we Legos? go? <laughs> yeah, yeah, come to Freaknik. Yeah, are there it's, still tickets available? Absolutely. Clarion Inn in Murfreesboro. Okay, come on down. Uh, so, yeah, I would start with the kids there and see if the kids are interested in this because grown-ups will generally go where their kids like to go. Usually. I mean, not always. Um, but um, And if their kids are, like, totally bored by it, it you're not going to be able to drag the adults in that direction because they got to spend, you know, yeah, other time with what their kids are doing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you can look at websites that are, like, geek life, you know, stuff. And um, what, what's, what's the website that's selling all the cool geek T-shirts? Think and, Geek. Think Geek. Yeah, there you go. Think Geek. And give the kids presents, you know? Christmas is coming up. That, that might be one way to they go. They make a Voyager pizza cutter. Yeah. But I <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next. Anybody else have questions? Hey, I'm Nathan Baker. Um, if I've never done any code breaking, what's a good resource, a fun place to go online and try my hand at it? Great question. Anyone who wants to learn about codes, there's a book I recommend. It's by a man called Simon Singh, S-I-N-G-H. It's called The Code Book, and it's a wonderful uh, entry for those who are new to codes. And then if you want to get deeper into codes, um, you can get a book by David Kahn, K-A-H-N, called The Code Breakers. And then if you want to get into the current modern codes, like when you're putting your bank card into an ATM and you want to learn all that stuff, you want to look up Bruce Schneier. S-C-H-N-E-I-R, and his site is just amazing for current codes. He also does a monthly newsletter called The Cryptogram, <laughs> and, and uh, it, he just covers all the stuff, all the stuff. We'll put links for that in our show notes. Great. Me, yeah. Any other questions? Don't be shy. <laughs> this is your opportunity to hear yourself on the interweb. <laughs> <laughs> Ask me uh, anything. Uh, hi, my name's Wes, and um, I wanted to ask about um, your perspective and your experiences as a woman in tech mm. in dealing with being a minority in a predominantly mm -hmm. white male world. Mm -hmm. it, it's a really interesting question that has a lot of different chocolate fl flavors <laughs> in it. Uh, because there, there's been a lot of weird stuff that's been going on, especially on, on in social media. Um, I personally have not experienced any of the really, really ugly parts of it, but I know people that have experienced some of the really, really ugly parts of it, and it's, it's like panicking. You know, they contact me and they say, this is going on and my identity has been stolen. And I go to different websites and I say, well, this is how you can secure your Twitter account and this is how you secure your Facebook account. And it's, it's horrifying to see 
that dark side of the attackers, that they, that they even think that this is, whether they think it's fun to do or, or what, it's just really horrifying. And um, I, I kind of want to talk to them in person and say, really? Really? Um, but um, in other parts, I find that people celebrate me. In, in some of the parts, they realize that there aren't a lot of women in that particular niche. And, and here's a woman, here's me, and, and they're saying, come on in. They like having me there. And I also see on a, on a more personal note, there are parents who will invite me over to their homes and say, we want to have a really smart woman come over and be a role model for our daughters. Uh, I, I see that also in schools. People will invite me and say, talk on, speak on anything because uh, the younger girls are going to you know, look at you. I, I got a funny story on that. In, in Murfreesboro, there's a game store. Uh, they sell D&D stuff. The name escapes me. Anybody know? Okay, so anyway, they they have a day where there's a bunch of D&D games going on. And and I tended to go on a regular basis at this time, and, I have, and they generally form four or five different groups. And in the group that I was in, um, there was like four women and, and one guy. And these women were generally kind of middle-aged women. And one of them, her daughters, came along and sat at the table with us and, and was rolling dice. And, and I remember the little girl, she's kind of looking around the table, and she's looking up. She's looking up at me. She's looking up at her mom. She's looking up at one of the other women at the table. And I can see the gears are whirling in this little girl's mind. Oh, this is what happens when you grow up. You know, you're a girl, you grow up, you're a woman, and you play D&D. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Huber, how's it going? Hi, um, good. What are you working on now or looking to work on in the future? Ah, um, well, right now, uh, there's the, the day job part. I'm currently between jobs. Sometimes I do contracts, and so I'm very actively seeking work, um, sending my resume around. In terms of cryptography, uh, I'm still working on cryptos. Not so much working on it myself as giving talks on it meaning that people ask me if I want to be the person that solves cryptos, and, and the, I, don't, I don't have to be the person that solves it. I want to see it solved, so it's off my plate. <laughs> um, and, and so I give a lot of talks, and I hope that by kind of spreading the information about cryptos, um, maybe someone else will come along. I, and I think it's going to be, I think the answer is going to come out of left field. I, I don't, because all the, the the college-trained cryptologists have worked on it, and they haven't figured it out. So maybe by giving talks, maybe there's a gardener is going to figure something out, or a kid is going to come up with some weird idea, and it just it could be anybody. Uh, and once I solve cryptos, or once I see crypto solved, the next code I'm going to work on. Uh, is going to be the the Elgar cipher, which is uh, the Dorabello cipher, which is some little squiggles, um, because I believe that that cipher is solvable. There's a couple other ciphers, the Beale ciphers, um, the Voynich manuscript. I don't think they're solvable. I think they were done as hoaxes. Um, well, maybe Voynich is a hoax. Every day I have a different opinion about the Voynich manuscript, um, but the the Dorabello cipher I believe is something that's really solvable. So I, that's where I'm going to turn my attention. So where can we go to look at cryptos? Elonka.com. 
slash <laughs> cryptos, uh, all lowercase. Uh, you can also go to Wikipedia. They've got, well, I've written a bunch of the articles <laughs> <laughs> on Wikipedia. I've written like 500 articles on Wikipedia on, on a wide variety of topics. Uh, awesome. in, in terms, if I had more free time, meaning I wasn't looking for a new contract, I'd be working on some of the medieval history articles specifically on the Mongol Empire. There, there's a bunch there that really needs to be cleaned up. <laughs> so I want to go and fix that. I have a lot of textbooks on medieval history, specifically the, the latter Crusades, so the early 1300s, the, um, the time when the Crusades, where the Christians were mostly being kicked out off the continent of Asia, and the, the uh, Muslims had kind of taken over parts, but the Mongols were moving in. So both sides were kind of like, hmm, maybe we need to band together against the Mongols. And it, it was a really interesting, I thought, it was a really interesting time in history. Yes. Do you have any plans to leave your own puzzle to the world for it to be solved? Um, Ooh, that's the, a good one. I, I do have, uh, I have written one puzzle, the Alanka Code, and if you go to my website and poke around, uh, yeah, you can <laughs> probably find it. Uh, in terms of writing like a really, really hard one, uh, no, I think there's enough out there, uh, and I'm more interested in providing information about the currently unsolved ones. Uh, also, it's just, it would be really hard to write an unsolved one without just being really evil and devious. And, and <laughs> it, yeah, I'm not evil. I'm not evil enough. <laughs> Anybody else? I have one. I saw on your website you, were, you worked at the 1984 Olympics. I what, did. What did you do there, and what was that like? Um, it, was, you know, it was just I happened to be there. Both my parents taught at UCLA, and UCLA was one of the venues. Uh, so I happened to be staying with my folks at the time. I was like, well, of course I should go volunteer at the Olympics. Um, and they, uh, they asked a bunch of questions about what you could do. And I, I spoke French. I was fluent in French. And so they had me working in one of the uh, main offices because the newsletter for the Olympics was bilingual because they, they come from France. Uh, and so I would be doing the, the typesetting. The, uh, okay, I got another story there. Um, <laughs> We were using word processors that, and most people there just didn't understand how word processors work. So I had to train people. We had these big eight-inch floppy disks, and, and I had to train people saying these floppy disks, don't staple them, don't paper clip them, <laughs> don't you know, treat them with care. And, and uh, then a couple days later, one of the managers comes up and she hands me one of the floppies and she's got her thumb right on top of the magnetic portion of it. And I was freaking out. No, 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 don't do that. And she said, oh, oh, sorry. And so she took the floppy, she took her thumb off and then she rubbed it off on her shirt as though that was going to make it better <laughs> and handed it back to me. So um, yeah, that back then people just didn't understand a lot of this tech. <laughs> So I have one final very important question. Bring it. Out of all the years you've gone to Dragon Con, what is your favorite costume that you have seen? Oh. It's like the hardest question of this whole interview. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, really I really liked the, the guys that had their camo that matched the hotel carpet. Um, I also really liked a woman who comes as the flying spaghetti monster. Yes! <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> this year there was one where... Um, uh, there was a, a kids, a little boy and his older sister, and the older sister was dressed as Ray, and the kid was dressed as BB-8. Um, <laughs> you, know, you just saw his head poking up out of the top. 
Um, but but one of my favorite has got to be the guys that came dressed as Tetris blocks, yes. and on a signal they'd all put themselves together. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you very much for letting us ask you a bazillion Anytime. questions. Happy to do it. Thank you for inviting me. And thank you thank guys you. for being here and asking all of your wonderful questions. This episode was sponsored by StrongLoop, an IBM company. StrongLoop helps you compose APIs, build and deploy and monitor node apps. You can learn more at strongloop.com. This podcast has been brought to you by Relationary Marketing. For more episodes or to leave feedback, visit us on nashdevcast.com or like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Special thanks to our producer, Clark Buckner.